Good morning, everybody. Man, what a cold morning it was this morning. Whew. Last more, I think last week or two weeks ago it was 70-something degrees when it was in the morning, and now we're waking up and it's 49. Man, the fall's coming quick. But, you know, it's awesome because the sun, the sun is still shining and God is still God, no matter what the temperature is. Um, it's awesome to be here. It really is, to come together and just join together the first day of the week and start our week off united under the name of Christ. We know the world is against us. We know the world didn't like him, so they're not going to like us. But when we come together and sing these songs and worship him in truth and in love, how awesome is it that we can start our week with him? Um, one thing that we take real important here is prayer. Prayer is one of those things that we should be doing on a constant basis, aligning us with God, going to God with our, our needs, our desires, our struggles, our trials, everything we have. God already knows. But when we pray, it's a special, it's a special communication we have with him. And at, at this church, we have an entire ministry dedicated to prayer. And that could be a reach out for a praise. It could be a reach out for a trial. I'm in need of something. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. Whatever it may be. And all you have to do is go to our website, go to uh, email prayer at trinityallenwood.com, and just send out a prayer, because we have a, a team of prayer warriors. And it's not just the team that meets on Wednesday. There's a whole email list that goes out of people praying. And how awesome is it that we can, we can do that as a church? Even though we might not see each other on a regular basis, we might miss a Sunday here or there, we might miss a week. But you know what? We're still united, and we're still joined together through prayer. Um, would you stand in, in the reading of God's word this morning before we enter in a time of, uh, of worship through song? It says, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And we have that uniting king in Jesus. He came and he will come again. So no matter how dark it may seem, no matter how, um, how difficult life may come, he's with us in the flames and in the fire. And when we're on the mountaintops praising his name, he's there with us as well.
Father God, we praise you and we lift up these words to you, Lord, because we know as the world around us may change, you will never change and you will always be God and always with us through those storms.
together and sing these songs and we're all coming from different walks of life and we're all coming from different weeks that we've had but we get to come and he makes us united and he makes us just be able to glorify him us wretched sinners and I don't know about you but when I think about it I think about all the the bad thoughts the anger the, the different things I've done this week the sins like thank you God because he came for all of my sins not just the ones before my baptism or after or the day that I said Jesus you're my savior he came for all of them so 
So it doesn't matter how broken we are. He's there. He's going to fix us. So let's join together and sing one more time. Oh, precious is the flow. Because that makes us white as snow. And it's only the blood that can do that. So let's join together, church, and sing. And oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. And no other found I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. more time nothing but the blood it's only him nothing but the blood of jesus let's give it to him. father god we praise you because of that blood because no matter what we can try to do nothing can separate us lord because you made this sinner, this broken person, this person does, that does not deserve your, your blessings. You made them holy through that matchless name, through that blood of Christ, Lord. And how amazing it is that we don't need to come to you perfect. We don't need to come to you um, all well and put together. We just need to come to you and submit our hearts to you. And within that, you will give us the knowledge of you and everything and just staying within your word, God. We love you so much and thank you. That no matter what we do, no matter what we feel, you're right with us, and that blood will cover us. And we thank you in that matchless name of Christ. Amen. 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 You can put your hands together one more time. We praise him. We're grateful. Um, thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, our young ones now have the great privilege of being invited down the hall with their teachers to spend a time uh, together learning and growing uh, in Christ. And so... We're grateful for them and for the people that give up uh, some of their time on a Sunday morning. So we, we thank you for them. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Good. My name is Keith, and I have the <clears throat> great privilege of being the, <clears throat> the one with the raspy voice. <clears throat> we'll start again. <clears throat> good morning, everybody. Um, and so um, my name is Keith, and I have the great privilege of being the, the lead pastor here at Trinity Bible Church. And and so I, I trust that you've been blessed already this morning with a time of worship. And we call this corporate worship because, uh, Lord willing, we're worshiping Jesus throughout the week. But this is a special time when we get together and we can do it, um, uh, you know, together with one another. And I love hearing all the voices. And we look around and we see wonderful diversity and we hear the diversity in our voices and even the way that we worship and it's a beautiful thing. It's a small picture of what heaven will look like. Amen. And so uh, it, it is a privilege to be here this morning. So thank you for choosing to join us. And I just want to have us get caught up a little bit of what's going on, the life of Trinity. We call it church life and things that have happened and things that are uh, coming up uh, in the near future. And then we will open God's word together. And so um, you know, there's opportunities that we have all throughout the week to get together, but one I just wanted to mention, of course, is on Wednesday nights. And so Wednesday nights we have our Dig Deeper Bible Study, and this is just 
an opportunity to do just that, to dig deeper into God's word and uh, to, uh, to study it a little deeper than we can go on a Sunday morning. And so um, this is a, a time when it's more topical. And so we look at different topics, whether it's current trends or cultural issues or theological uh, concepts that we get to discuss and we open God's word together for a solid two hours and uh, we see what the Lord has for us and that's how we grow because you know at and learn because at Trinity we talk about learn, grow and serve and we need to be able to learn before we can truly grow and so this is a great opportunity uh, to learn God's word. So we'll be here this Wednesday night so uh, if you um, if you have the time please point to come out and join us. Um, you know, the Lord calls us to give generously, and to give generously, to live generously, even more important. And so we live generously by giving God, yes, of our finances, but also of our time and giving him uh, those, you know, giving back those gifts that he's given us, using our talents for him and, and, and to build up the church, and of course, to serve others. And as we talk here a lot about learning and growing and serving that the outpouring of that learning and growing is to serve and to serve others. And so there's many ways that you can live generously as being part of the body of Christ here uh, at, um, at Trinity. And so one of those ways is coming up soon in the beginning of January. We have the opportunity to go down uh, to, um, uh, to Delaware and to, uh, to bring the love of Christ in very practical ways. And so we go hoping and praying that we can share the good news of the gospel of grace to many people, but these are particularly, it's a community that is struggling, people that are struggling with, with, um, with homelessness and addiction and in uh, severe poverty. And so we've been there before, we're going back, and of course it's the middle of winter, and so people that are living on the streets especially will, uh, will need things like warm winter clothing. And so you see that big box on the entryway when you come in, we are collecting warm winter clothing, hats and scarves and, and gloves. Uh, and um, we're also doing this thing that's new this year. And so the church leadership got together and said, what more can we do to help people that are in need? And so if you have these gently used items or you go out and purchase them, that's wonderful. But if all you can do or if in addition to that you want to give financially, then the church will match up to $2,500 of those uh, of those financial gifts, and then we will take that money and purchase more of those items so we can go just fully stocked and prepared to be able to uh, to bless the people, all right? And so that is an opportunity we have now through the end of the year to be able to collect those funds and to collect the items, all right? So take advantage of that opportunity to give. Another way to give is through our Angel Tree Project, and if you remember from last week, we had Debbie Carver here, and she is one of the missionaries we've been supporting for a long time, and um, she works with um, with women who are in prison, and one of the, the great ministries they do every year this time is they get people from various churches to, uh, to, to commit to buy presents for a certain child who has one or more or two parents that are incarcerated, and so these children get to, uh, to get gifts, and, and uh, we heard all about it last week from Debbie, but we get to to be a part of that. So whether you buy the gifts and then other people deliver it or you, um, you sign up just to deliver, hopefully you get to do both because what a, 
a, a joy it is and a privilege all actually to be able to to give these gifts and help give these gifts on behalf of their parents to these children who don't have their parents with them for Christmas. So you can sign up today, you can go to our website, get more information. But now is that time of year where we start promoting this and this is a wonderful ministry, another way to live generously, all right? So coming up in a few weeks, baptisms, November 7th. And, uh, you know, it, it is one of the two commandments or ordinances that, that Christ gives to the church to receive him in communion and then to be baptized. And so we're actually going to do both on the 7th. We will have the Lord's Supper communion. We'll have our fellowship lunch after, but what a privilege it is to be able to be a part of the baptism. The people that are believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to be baptized. And, you know, it's important to remember that baptism does not save us, but baptism is an outward uh, symbolic event and gesture that represents what is a change that's already happened on the inside. And Jesus told us to be baptized. In the Great Commission, he said, go and, uh, and make disciples of all the nations, right? Teaching them and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so baptism is a really important part of our discipleship path, of us walking with the Lord. And uh, there is no better time than to do it now. And so uh, if you're interested, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and you have not yet been baptized as a believer, would you come and see me and talk to me? Um, you know, you can email me, you can text me, show up at my house, knock on the door. I want to be baptized. It's all good. Uh, but we would love to do more and more baptisms on the 7th. And we'll do them whenever, you know, the opportunity arises. But we have set this date. And so uh, we would love to have um, multiple people being baptized. So consider that, church, if you are a believer and have not yet been baptized as a believer, the Lord Jesus commands us to do it. It doesn't bring us salvation, but it's an important part, Jesus said, of our walk with him. Because in that baptism, we identify with Christ. Did you know Jesus was baptized? Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. He didn't need to be forgiven of sins, of course. He was sinless. But he did it to be identified with the sinners he came to save and to be identified to the public that, yes, I am that Messiah. Now, we, in that great tradition, we then baptize. And so should I switch mics? Over here, we're getting a lot of those popping, so we've been having some technical issues, so here's what I'm going to do. You got that one on? Hey. And I kind of, there you go. Now you're like, okay, now I'm listening. I always kind of feel like this one makes my voice sound better, so maybe I'll just use this one until we can get this one to work like that, right? And um, so I'll finish up here. So a big plug for baptism, if... if um, you know, if you don't believe me, go to the scriptures um, and you'll, you'll see what it teaches about baptism. And so it's important. And so please consider that if you have not yet been baptized. All right. And then here we are. Um, many more things to learn and to know about, um, about what's going on at Trinity. Just check our website. It's trinityallenwood.com. Uh, and you can learn all about what's happening here, all right? And so now is that time in our gathering where we get to open God's word together. This is the continuation of our series, and it is simply titled Greater Than, because the book of Colossians, which is what we're going through, um, it's a letter of Paul. It's a, it's a short letter, 
But it's a letter that Paul wrote to this church in a city called Colossae. It doesn't exist anymore, but we know where it, it, it was. It's in southern day, it's in uh, current day southern Turkey. Uh, and this church had a great faith, and Paul commends them for their faith. But there was also a heresy, which means a bad teaching, some bad doctrine, that was on the rise in this church. And Paul got word of it, and Epaphras was a good friend of Paul's, and probably one that Paul discipled and led to the Lord. So Epaphras was evidently an important part of starting this church in Colossae. And Paul had never seen these Christians. He never, as far as we know, had visited this church yet. And so he heard much about them. So he wrote this letter while he was in prison. And he wrote to them and to tell them, look, your faith is wonderful. And you, you have great faith. And, and I'm so thankful for that. It encouraged Paul, especially while he was in prison. But he also wrote to, to warn them. He wrote to teach them and say, remember Jesus. Boy, that sounds so simple, right? But he, he wrote to tell them, look, don't take your eyes off of Jesus and start believing things about him that are not true. He goes on to tell them, remember everything I taught you about Jesus and stay firm, stand firm on your faith in that message. And so today we're going to get in a little bit more into the meat of why he wrote this letter, and next week especially, when he tells us that we are not to uh, be deceived by philosophies of this world or vain deceit because they are not of Christ. It was a big part of why he wrote this letter. See, what was happening is that these Christians, right, they were being faithful but what was happening is they were starting to believe some philosophies and heresies that other people in the church were starting to teach that had some truth to it, because don't most lies have some truth in there, right? And that's what makes them deceitful and, and deceptive, because it sounds good. And so he's saying, look, remember the true Jesus, the Lord Jesus who is the true Son of God, and this heresy, what, what later became known as Gnosticism, really focused on this idea that there was a special knowledge that people could gain apart from God and only a select few people had that special knowledge. And it was on the same level of the word of God, see? And so it was mysterious, but Paul said that's not the mystery. The mystery is in Christ, in the church. A mystery in the Bible is a truth that was once concealed but is now revealed. And see, Jesus was the Messiah, but his true identity was concealed. The Old Testament saints didn't, they knew there was a Messiah coming. They didn't know his name was Jesus. But then Jesus, of course, is born to us on the earth, um, and uh, he lives and walks among us, and he begins his ministry. And so John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus later on, he, the ascended Jesus, gets a hold of Paul in his heart and says, you will now be a witness to the, the whole world, especially to the Gentiles. And now we have Paul who's writing this letter to this first generation of Christians saying, don't lose sight of who Jesus is because Jesus is greater than any other philosophy of this world, any other God that people can create in their own minds. Jesus is greater and boy, what an important message for us today, isn't it? I mean, it's always been relevant. See, 
My job is not to make the Bible relevant, because the Bible is always relevant. My job is not to make Jesus relevant. Jesus is always relevant. Part of my job, a big part of my job, is to show you how Jesus and his word are already relevant in the times in which we're living. Amen? And so we know that it's relevant. And so this message that Paul has for the church is a message for us today that Jesus is greater than. He's greater than all because he is the true son of the living God. Right? And so today in our passage, and I'll put it up on the screen in a minute, we're actually just going to look at five verses. It's, it's um, Colossians chapter 2, and it's verses 1 to 5. So I encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to it. Colossians 2, 1 to 5. If you use your Bible app, you can open it up and check it out. It'll be on the screen in a minute as well. But before Paul even gets into talking about these philosophies and how we, he, we're to be warned against them and not be deceived, he reminds them once again of his vision for the church. If you remember from last week, we talked about Paul's heart for the church as a minister of the gospel, and I shared part of my story and, and how I came to be here and the calling on my life to be a minister of the gospel like the Apostle Paul. So now Paul, actually, in, our, in today's passage, he actually talks about the vision for the church. There's six things that I want to point out from this passage, just six things that, that I'll point out to you just briefly that I think that we can we can look at and glean some, some important truth about Paul's vision for the church and what it means for our church today. You know, uh, I mentioned last week that I was uh, going away to a conference, and I got to do that. I was away Monday, uh, Tuesday, and Wednesday at a conference, and it was down in Houston, Texas. It's a pastor's conference. Anybody ever been to Houston, Texas? Okay, a couple, Right? And uh, look, I want to say this. I love being from New Jersey. Now, I could probably get just two hands for that, too. I probably lost half of you. Like, what are you talking about? I I'm born and raised in Jersey, and I love being from New Jersey. And so I went to this conference, and, and most of the pastors that were there were from the South. It just happens to be this uh, alliance of like-minded uh, churches, theologically and, and philosophically, and and um, uh, it kind of took rise down in the south, and, um, uh, and so many of the pastors and the churches represented from the south, there was actually from all over the world, but most of them from the south, also from some from uh, California, not many here from the northeast, and so as I, it's the first time at this particular uh, pastor's conference, and so as I got to meet people, introduce myself, and always you see you had your name tag on, right, and you go to a conference, you wear your lanyard with your name tag, and they say, oh, where are you from? I say, I'm from Jersey, and here's the response I got, maybe six or seven people, Jersey, how'd you get here? Yeah. These are all, you know, good southern people, and most of them from that area, and I was so tempted to say, well, I flew in last night on Delta Airlines. No. And uh, so I kind of went into the story about how I, I found out. And, the, and then inevitably, you know, they'd ask me, how can we just say Jersey? And I said, you know, we've got so much to do in Jersey. We move so fast, faster, faster than you guys here. We don't have time to say the new. So we just say Jersey, right? <laughs> and so word started to spread that there was a pastor in the house from New Jersey. 
See, so then I had at least four other pastors. They came up to me after the, the sessions, you know, and we were always encouraged to meet other people, which was awesome. We got, I had to have great conversations with people from all around different parts of the world. And, and, um, and so inevitably I had at least four that I can remember that after these sessions I would have somebody come up to me and they'd just like make a beeline to me and they would say, hey, how are you? The first guy's name was Tim and, and um, he, he had this bit, you know, really deep southern drawl and he's like, hi, my name is, I'm not going to do that for you. I can't do that impression. Hey, Tim, you're Keith, right? Yeah, my name's Keith. And he goes, are you that pastor from New Jersey? You know? And it happened at least four times. All of a sudden, I'm like a novelty there. And the word is spreading. There's a pastor from New Jersey. And they're just like, where? What does he look like? Where is he? You know, where is he? Where is he? Right? And all of a sudden, I'm feeling like, oh, a little special. Like, um, I could be in charge around here. I'm from New Jersey, you know? But they were such nice people. But, you know, I found myself, like, enjoying talking about New Jersey. And then I would ask them, oh, you ever been to Jersey? And most of them said no, but the couple that had been to Jersey, where do you think it was that they were in New Jersey? Newark. Oh, I flew into Jersey, <clears throat> so I went to New York, or I flew into Jersey, and so that's the rap we get, right? You know, we're the garden state, but all they see is Newark and refineries and factories and ships and all that, right? Oh, it's a garden state, yeah, I've been to Newark. All right. One pastor told me he flew into Newark for a conference that was at a Prudential Center in Newark, and he said, you know, he got off the, the he, he got in a cab, I guess, to go to where he was going and to the Prudential Center for this uh, big conference, and the, the cab driver said, you see, that, you see those streets over there in Newark? He's like, yeah. He's like, you don't want to go there. And so he's like, okay. So he's like, he, he, this one guy from Texas knows where not to go in Newark, right? And so, Okay. <clears throat> But I found myself enjoying saying that I'm from New Jersey, and I love being in New Jersey, and uh, I love the fact of being born and raised here, you know, and, but we do have a, you know, a certain sort of stigma, I guess. Um, and so it was fun talking about that and getting to know the people, and I have to say, some of the stereotypes, I guess, are true, because people drove slower down there, and they talked slower, and I went out to lunch, and they ate slower, and, uh, but the food was good, had some good barbecue and, and all that, but... Um, and everything just sort of moved a little slower, and I felt like I was a little out of place trying to get to where I was going and say what I had to say. Um, but you know what? At the same time, the people that I met, especially these, these guys that were pastors and these ladies that were in ministry, like, boy, their hearts were the same. Their hearts for the church. Because most of us were in ministry, some kind of ministry leadership. And so I'm thinking about in my preparation for today, Paul's heart for the vision for the church and Last week, talking about his, his heart for the purpose of the church, you know, and, and we were all like-minded. But here, church, let me share something else. Here's what else I noticed about my, my new friends there that I met. <clears throat> there was also a commonality of burnout, of frustration, a bit of confusion, and what I saw and heard in my conversations from these church leaders was just a lack of clarity for vision for their churches. And it wasn't become, because they had become disheartened or disillusioned with their people or their call in their life or especially not the gospel. But it was this, church. It was 
because of all that we're experiencing in our country, in our world today, there are so many church leaders that, that I met there, and I'd heard about this, but I got to meet and just and experience it in one-on-one conversations that there is just this bit of confusion and almost like they were been beat up and burnt out. And it's not, all ba- it's not all blamed on COVID. We talk a lot about what's happened the last 18 months, and yes, it had a, had a profound effect, a, a, a impact on churches and a great effect on church leaders. And we've seen that and heard a lot about it. But it went deeper than that. A lot of it was, you know what? We're trying to do what Jesus said, understand the seasons and the times around us and where do we fit in. And, and we know that our mission doesn't change and we know that our message doesn't change. But how do we do this? There were many things that, that I think we would take for granted. We'd wake up every day and we would understand in general how the world would work and what to expect from the people in, the, in our churches and how, how to do this stuff, how to do worship and, and preach the word and how to have these ministries and all that. But Things just seem different. Even some of these seasoned saints, these guys with multiple PhDs and doctorates in, in philosophy and, and uh, experts in Greek and Hebrew and professors and all the way down to, you know, to other people that are leading all kinds of different ministries in church, and there was still this common thing. And I heard it from the speakers at the, se- at the sessions, and I heard it from the pastors that I got to talk to. And, There's just general sense of like their vision for the church was a little blurried. It's almost like we've been kind of beat up a little bit. Remember the movie Rocky? Remember that? When Rocky's going out, especially the first one, and he's getting beat up and beat up. And what happens? He's getting beat up and his eyes are getting swollen. You remember that one scene, if you saw it, and, and his one eye is swollen, and he's talking to his trainer, Mick. He says, cut me, Mick, cut me, right? Got to cut that eye that's swollen and starts bleeding out. Why? Just so he could see. Because he wanted to stay in the fight. See, Rocky wanted to stay in the fight and stay in the battle and not give up and not give in and not literally throw in the towel where we get that expression from, right? And, and he just wants to be able to see a little more clearly, and that's the sense that I got at this conference talking to pastors and, and hearing these, these great leaders share about different aspects of what we, how we bring this, this gospel, the same gospel, to the next generation of believers in the world in which we live and in this new context that we find ourselves in. And I just got this sense they just needed to see a little more clearly the things they took for granted, the things that they just knew that they could always count on and see in this clarity of vision was just a little more clouded. And it was kind of just like getting together to see how can we see a little more clearly. And so in our passage today, Paul touches on that. Because see, what was happening in this church in Colossae is they were allowing their vision to be blurred. Their vision of Jesus, the true Jesus, The Christ, the sent one, the Messiah, their vision of who he is was being lost. And when that happens, then your understanding of your identity becomes clouded. Because if you don't understand the true identity of Jesus, how are you going to know who you really are in him? And see, so then your identity becomes blurred. And your vision for who he is and your vision for the church and what we're called to be and to do becomes blurred. That's a sense that I saw what was happening 
And so we see in this passage, I'll read it for you now, that, that Paul again is kind of addressing this, um, this vision that he has for the church and, and what he wants to make sure this church does not lose sight of. So let me read it for you, and then there's six things that I'll briefly highlight from this. It's just these verses, these five verses that you see up there, all right? So it says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, which was another church, I'll talk about them in a minute, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Here's six things that I want to point out. So the first thing, you know, he talks about struggle, right? He talks about struggle, and we see that word struggle, right? Uh, there it is. How great a struggle. In the Greek, sometimes I like to tell you about the, the, the Greek or the Hebrew, because remember, as I often say and remind you that the Bible was not written in English. It was written in Greek and Hebrew and a little Aramaic thrown in there. And, and so what does that word struggle mean? Well, it's the same word in Greek that we get our uh, English word agony. You ever been in agony? You've been in agony? Yeah. I mean, physically, we know agony. Have you ever been in mental or emotional agony? I mean, agony means like extreme struggle, extreme duress. And that's what Paul is saying. He's not saying like sometimes ministry is hard. He's saying, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. He ended the passage from last week saying the same thing. I toil and I struggle for you, the church, because of his heart for believers, because he knows what it's like to struggle. He himself is in prison writing this. So he says, how great a struggle I have for you. It just shows us his heart, doesn't it? How much the church means to him. That's why he's writing these things. It's important to know the heart of the person that's writing the letter. And this is who Paul is. This is his heart for the church. What a great struggle he has for you and for those at Laodicea. It's another church. If you remember, um, you've heard that name before, right? Laodicea. Where have I heard that? Revelation chapter 3. We have the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus gave. He wrote and then communicated through the angel. Remember that? And the last one, the seventh one, the church at Laodicea. Remember what he said about that church? It was actually the only church that he didn't have anything positive to say about. It's in Revelation chapter 3. This is the church in Laodicea, he says, are lukewarm. When he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, I'm just going to spit you out of my mouth. And so he's talking about what? And Paul says, even this church in Laodicea, another church that we don't think he actually visited, or at least he didn't plant, and he says, yeah, you don't see me and I haven't seen you, but I know about you, and in this church in Laodicea, evidently this heresy had made its, all its, made its way all the way to Laodicea, another church, and part of what led it to be lukewarm. See, Paul doesn't want us to be lukewarm in our faith, amen? He wants us to be firm in our faith, and that's where we'll end today, but... 
He wants us to stay strong in our faith and remain having that clear vision of who Jesus is, who we are, and what we're called to be and to do. And so he says, I struggle for this, and I do it willingly. I agonize over this for you and your brothers and sisters in this other church in Laodicea, and I was reminded of that when, when I was at this conference that it's not just us, and it's not just here in, in New Jersey. It's churches all around the country and all around the world. I met a pastor who's leading a church in the Ukraine, and I met a pastor who's leading a church in the Philippines, and it's all over the world. You know, we might have different contexts, different governments. We live under different levels of freedom and different kinds of culture, but the word is the same and our God is the same and the call is the same. And we want to make sure we keep our eyes set on Jesus so that our vision remains clear about who he is and then who his church is. We are the church of Jesus Christ. It's not our church, not my church. It's his church. Jesus said, I will build my church See, I'm not called to build the church. Jesus will build this church. What we're called to do is build followers of Christ. Go and make disciples of all the nations, see? So encouraging each other to stand firm in our faith and to walk with him and to grow. But then he says this, that after that, right, he says, that their hearts may be encouraged. It's the first thing. So he's struggling and agonizing for them and their faith and their brothers and sisters and Laodicea, and he says, so that their hearts may be encouraged. Now, a couple things. Heart does mean heart, but in the Bible, most of the time, the word heart means mind. At least that's what the original hearers would have understood. See, now today, with all the developments in, in, in science and, and uh, in medicine, we, of course, understand more about how the body works, don't we, than, than the early church did. And so they really understood the heart as the center of a person, of the intellect, of everything flowed out of the heart. Now, we know the heart pumps our blood, and our blood keeps us alive, and it gives us the oxygen that's flowing, and we want our hearts to be working right. But we now know that what happens in our mind, right, our thoughts and our intellect and how the brain controls everything, right? So when they say, when Paul says that your hearts may be encouraged, see, also we want to make sure we include the mind, it's what we would understand today. It's what they were really talking about. That their minds would be encouraged. So how are our minds and hearts by connection be encouraged? It's by staying in the word. You remember in passage from last week, Paul said, my whole point is to bring you complete in Christ, right? By bringing the full counsel of God, the word to you. That's why we go through books of the Bible and we open God. Word that, that encourages us. It's God's word that convicts us and challenges us. It's God, God's word that comforts us. So he says, I want your hearts to be encouraged. We take that to mean mind as well. So what is he saying? I want you to be encouraged. He's saying, don't quit. Don't give up. He's saying to all the pastors I was with in Houston, don't quit. Don't give up. It might feel like there's no use of going on. I don't know what to do. What's my call? What's my vision? What is this church thing about? What are we to do in this new context that we find ourselves in in this part of our world? But he says, I want you to be encouraged. You start with your encouragement with the word of God. But he wants us to not give up because there's always hope. See, that's why he starts the letter by saying, you're doing great. I've heard about your great faith. 
Now just stay focused on what's important. So there's the encouragement, but then there's the warning and the challenge. See that? It's a good way. I think it's a good model for us too when we're investing our lives in other people. We encourage them. You're doing great. Let me tell you three things that I really love about you. Remind them how good they're doing, and then you can say, here's some things that I also notice. You're doing so well, but just, do the, just keep doing this one thing or stay focused on Jesus, and that's what he's doing. You know, how hard is it to stay focused these days, right? There's so many distractions. There always has been, but I mean, I think it's safe to say there are more now than ever. We have our phones, right? I looked around at our conference, and, and uh, we're all doing this, and I was doing this. After the session, we're meeting people, but inevitably, everybody kind of takes a seat, and they're just like this, reading their phones. Now, most of them, they're probably texting people in their church, and there was one guy I got to, to meet, this guy Jason, and on the third day, we were going to go out to lunch, but something blew up at his church, and somebody was accusing somebody of doing something else that was really serious, and so he had to leave the conference early to go home and put out some fires and bring some immediate healing. He had to do some, like, emergency surgery there, you know what I mean? And because ministry doesn't stop just because you're at a conference in Houston, Texas, Right? But people are on their phones, and there's so many things that can be distracting, whether it's good or it's not good. But how distracted are we that we take our eyes off of Jesus? Remember what happened to Peter when Jesus invited him to come walk on the water? He was doing so good, right? Jesus encouraging him. Like Paul is saying, well, your faith is so good. But then what happened? Jesus took, uh, God, Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, and he started to sink. We take our eyes off of Jesus and our faith starts to wane. See? And Paul is all about keeping the faith in Christ. And so he wants us to be encouraged of heart because we're doing well, but keep our eyes on Jesus so that we don't get distracted. So church, what are you doing to limit the distractions in your spiritual walk with the Lord? What kind of things distract you from your daily devotions, from, from picking up God's word and reading it? What things are distracting you from your time of prayer? What things are distracting you from coming to church and getting the fellowship and encouragement that you need? Just think about it for a moment, and it might look different for each one of us, but what things are you allowing to be a distraction in your life from taking your eyes off of Jesus. So Paul says, be encouraged in heart. But then what does he say after that? Not only be encouraged, but he says he wants us to be knit together in love. Any of you knitters? Anybody do knitting? I don't. A couple of you. We all understand what knitting means, right? Paul is saying he wants us to be knit together. When you knit something together, isn't the intent that it stays together? You don't knit it to be temporary. You knit things together. It might be different colored yarn and different patterns and all this, but you're knitting it together. It takes being intentional. You don't just get a bunch of yarn and throw it on the ground and say, it's knit together. Right? Doesn't it take being intentional? You get the needle, you get whatever it is, the sticks, you know, and you knit the stuff together. There's a pattern. You knit it together. Paul's saying that's what it's like in the Christian life. We are to be knit together with Christ and with one another. It's that intimacy with him so that we become more and more like Jesus and we encourage each other to do it. So he says, I want you to be encouraged in heart, but also to be knit together 
But what is that common bond that knits us together? Love. It's the love that Jesus shows us. It's the love of Christ. Does it elsewhere tell us in the word of God that the world will know us and know that we're his followers by our love? Jesus said that to his disciples on the night before he was betrayed as he was celebrating the, the Passover and the Last Supper together. He said, this is, this is a new covenant in my blood. And he says, a new commandment I give to you. Remember that? Love one another. Well, it doesn't sound new, but it was for them. Love one another, because Jesus was saying, I'm about to leave you, and one day I will come back, but until I come back for you, you are going to need each other like you have no idea. You're going to need each other. You're going to be unified. You remember a number of weeks ago, at the end of our sermon series for the summer, I talked about how Jesus is greater than disunity. And in John chapter 17, Jesus has this really long prayer, the longest prayer we have of Jesus, and it was right before he was betrayed. And what does he do? He prays for unity in the church. He says, Father, he's praying to the Father, but he's praying for us, for you and for me. And he says, Father... I want them, meaning his sheep, his church, I want them to be one as you and I are one. And he told them, I, I, Father, I have given them your word, given them your truth, but the world's going to hate them. And he says, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but I want you to protect them in the world, but they're going to need each other. See, that's what he was saying to the Father in his prayer. And so, church, we need each other, and Paul knows it. That's part of the vision for the church. He says we can't lose vision of the fact that we need each other. And see, we are knit together. The body of Christ is knit together in love. But what Paul saw happening is there were people in the church that looked good and sounded good, but they were little by little behind the scenes picking apart that yarn. So it was coming apart. What happens when you do that? It starts to come apart. It doesn't look as beautiful as it did. It's not as strong and tightly woven as it once was. That's what happens when a church loses its vision and its focus on Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. And so we are to be knit together in love. Hebrews 10 tells us this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Do you see that day approaching? Do you? Do you see that day approaching, that the Lord's coming back? We don't know when it is. We don't set dates here. But we know that we're always one day closer to it, and the Lord said he'll come back for us. So until then, we need to make sure we're knit together and do what the writer of Hebrews says. Don't forsake gathering together. Why? Because you're going to need each other. We need to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, encourage each other, all the more as we see the imminence of the Lord's return. But then what does he say after that? to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So he wants us to be encouraged, and he wants to, to make sure that we stay together and knit together, and it's all about love and not judgment, but love in Christ. And he says, so you can reach all the riches of full assurance. Those great words, reach, riches, full assurance of what? And the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, that's Christ. What is he saying? In a very fanciful way, he's saying you have to know Jesus. 
You have to stay close to him. You have to be intimate with your God and your Savior, the one true Jesus. Don't take your eyes off of him and no matter what you're doing because it's only in that that you're going to do what he says elsewhere in the letter. He says so you can grow up in Christ and, and mature. See, we're not to become believers and then just stay as infant, as baby Christians. We are to grow and mature. And Paul and even Jesus talks a lot about the marks and the characteristics of a mature believer being humble, right? Leading with wisdom and discernment and out of love and not judgment. See, we are to grow in Christ. I mean, we have kids down the hall that are learning. Don't we want our kids to grow up, right? They're growing. We want them to grow up in Christ. Well, as adults, you become a believer. And whenever you become a believer, you're not supposed to just stay right there. See, it's like a runner. It's like a bunch of runners that come to a starting line, and they're about to run this race, and the gun goes off, right? And a bunch of them start running, and a couple of them just cross the starting line and say, yeah, I crossed the starting line, and here I am. And they jump for joy and hang out and high-five and have fellowship, and all they did was cross the starting line. Well, you know what? Our, our faith in Jesus Christ for the salvation of our sins, it's like we crossed the starting line and we're in heaven and our, our salvation is secure. But Jesus says it's not what the race is about. I mean, that's the starting line for everybody. But he says, I want you to grow in Christ. And Jesus said, that's how you be my disciple. You deny yourself daily. You forget about yourself and you become more like me. You deny yourself, you take up your cross and you follow me. That's called being a disciple. That's a lifelong journey. Salvation is a moment in time, that moment you put your faith and trust in Christ for the salvation of your sins, but then it's a lifetime journey of what we call sanctification, progressive sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. See, that, that's what the Christian life is. That's that walk. That's what it means to be a disciple. And so we are to spur one another on. But then he says, to do for what? What should it look like? That you would be rich in your faith. Do you feel rich in your faith? Are you rich in your knowledge of Jesus Christ? And not only your knowledge, but wisdom. See, he says the understanding and the knowledge. See, knowledge, it's good to have that head knowledge. You need to start there, but wisdom is when you, you work it out. See, wisdom is knowledge in action that knowledge, have that understanding. It says, I want you to be full of that. Not full of yourselves, but full of Christ because it's rich. Then you'll have this wonderful assurance of your faith and who you are and who Jesus is because then you can grow. See, he says the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, what a truth that was concealed that's now revealed and Christ is revealed and this gospel is revealed and he says, grow in that. And what does he say next down there? He says, so that in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. See, he's getting to the meat of this now. And he's telling this church, like, look, I know there's people that sound right, and they're teaching some things that have some truth in them, but it's not the truth. Paul says elsewhere that, that if anybody preaches to you a gospel that was not the gospel I taught you, may, them be, may, may they be cursed even if it's an angel. You know he said that? And so the point is, as Paul's saying, keep your eyes focused on Christ. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, right? It's all about pointing to Jesus. 
But he says, so that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. In verse 8, which we'll see next week, he says, Do, see to it that you are not deceived by philosophies and, and empty deceit. It's the same thing. He's starting to build this argument. He's Remember, he's saying, well, you're doing great in your faith, and, and, and you're standing firm, and I see that. I love hearing that news, but don't take your eyes off of Jesus and the true Jesus because there's people among you I'm hearing about that are starting to, to, to plant seeds of division. How many churches have split or churches have closed and died because of division? How many churches have closed or died because of hypocrisy or of backbiting or of, of um, spreading rumors and lies? But you see, that's what happens, and Paul is addressing that, and he says, it might sound good, it might sound plausible, I mean, how many times do we hear something on the radio, we hear a preacher, or we hear somebody say something, well, that sounds biblical. It sounds like it could be in the Bible. It sounds like something Jesus would say. But then we're supposed to open God's word. Did he say it? Is it in there? Is it biblical? Because it might sound good. I mean, isn't that what Satan does? He's a liar. Jesus said he's the father of lies. He's been a liar from the beginning. And liars will always tell a little bit of truth as part of their lie, or else it's so easy to, to, you know, to figure it out and to see through it. So we want to make sure that we are not, that we are not deluded, or we are not deceived, even by plausible arguments. It's some truth mixed into a lie. We are not to take our eyes off of him. Because what happens when we're not keeping our eyes trained and focused on Jesus and staying in his word and being knit together in love, being encouraged by one another, what happens? Then we become vulnerable and susceptible to the deception of the enemy. You see that? You follow me? That's what happens. We become susceptible to that. How many of you have been getting um, these uh, scam texts recently? It says, hey, your, your bill's been paid. Great job. We have a little gift for you. Just click right here. We get emails. I mean, it used to be phone calls. There's still phone scams. There's email scams. There's text scams now. I don't know what's next, but it's all the time. Did you know? I mean, it seems like we see it. We're like, yeah, that's a scam. But isn't there a little bit of truth in there? I get all the time. I got one last month that says, oh, your, your uh, September uh, AT&T bill was paid. Well, yes, I did pay it. Well, here's a little reward. So it looks legit on the surface. I'm like, I don't think they're sending me any kind of rewards. Right? So you start thinking, I don't think that's right. And then we kind of know from experience, if you just click on something, bad things happen. Right? It happens in emails. It happens in phone scams. Did you know, just, I was just reading this just last year in 2020. How much did this cost the people of this country? Just identity theft alone. I, the cost to the people of this country in identity theft alone, identity fraud. You know how much? $56 billion in damages and losses by identity fraud. $30 billion in phone scams alone. When somebody calls you up and says, you've won a prize, or you have money that some distant relative left you, and so all you have to do is send 100 bucks, and we'll give you your $1 million. But you know what's sad? There's enough people that fell for it where it cost them $30 billion over the course of one year. We hear about it all the time. Why? Because we say, oh, it's a scam and it's a lie. 
but there's a little bit of truth in there that makes it sound just like a plausible argument. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't let anybody delude you. Don't let it water you down. Don't let it blur your vision of Jesus, even if it sounds plausible. Is it biblical? And did Jesus really say it? And then finally, he ends this uh, passage by saying this. He says, because I, I, I want to rejoice in your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Good order in, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about order in the church, orderly. And that word, when he says good order, it's kind of this idea of like um, uh, soldiers obeying uh, orders, kind of like there's some order to it. He's like, you know, you're doing great, and you're staying firm in your faith, but he says, I want to see more of that. So I'm rejoicing in that. See, Paul is so good because he starts with affirmation, and then he, he, then he gives these words of warning, right? And these words of, of warning and conviction and challenge, but then he ends and he says, yeah, but you know what, remember, I, I rejoice because you're doing so good in your firmness and your faith. He's just saying remain firm in the fullness of your faith. And what's your faith? Not in these vain philosophies, not in these text scams. Your faith is in Christ. He was making the case of who Jesus is. Train your eyes on him. See, when we lack a vision, we can perish. I think it says that it's either a proverb or in one of the Psalms. And what that really means is it says, when the people lack vision, the people will perish. When there is no vision, the people will perish. That's what it says. But what does that word vision mean? It's, it's often taken to mean, oh, we got to have a vision statement for the church. We have to have a five year plan so people you know, don't stop coming to church. That's not what it means. Again, the original language, when it says, when there is no vision, the people will perish, what that really means is prophecy. It means the telling forth of God's word. When we get away from the word of God and who the true Jesus is, people will perish. There'll be a lack of vision. And I saw it. I saw it at the conference. There was just this, a little bit of this, this idea, like, I just, I can't see ahead of me. I used to be able to see three, five years down the road and what we were going to do, and now I just can't see five feet in front of me. Just feeling like we're beat up. Church, that's another reason we need each other. See, Rocky needed Mick to come and just cut him a little bit so he could see a little bit more. He needed that encouragement. He needed Mick saying, don't throw in the towel. You can do this. That's what we need to do. Stand firm in our faith. Be encouraged in heart. Right? Be knit together in love so that we don't, we're not torn apart by what's going on in the world around us. We stay together, church. Right? So we can reach all the riches of the fullness of our understanding and the knowledge of Christ so that we are not deluded even by plausible arguments, but what? But stand firm in our faith. Are you with me? I was encouraged going to this conference. I really was, and it's really more than I even kind of envisioned, hoped it would be. They got to talk to some good people that are doing amazing things for the Lord around the world, and I was encouraged to have good conversations, to come back with some ideas and, and resources, and just be refreshed in spirit. It was good for my soul. The most important part was the community. Yeah, I got some good books and great resources that I want to start trying to adapt and implement here, but the most important thing that I was blessed with 
was community. I was reminded, wait, I'm not alone in the struggle. I was reminded that we are not alone in the struggle to remain strong disciples in Jesus, that there are others there, that there are others there with us, that we are to be knit together in love. And I saw it and I heard it. And I got to, to meet some good people that are doing amazing things for God. And here I am in the great state of New Jersey, <laughs> going down to Houston, Texas. Jersey. Well, this is where God called us. And maybe one day you, you move away, you go somewhere else, and God will use you there. But for right here and right now, for such a time as this, this is where we are. Why is it, I'll end with this, why is it that everybody was so surprised? Jersey, how'd you get here? It's kind of like, are there any Christians in New Jersey? <laughs> Thought they were all in Texas, right? All in the Bible Belt. Well, yes, there are, praise God. There's some right here at Trinity Bible Church in Allenwood, New Jersey, and, and you know what? But we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord, and. We may in it be in different sized churches, different contexts. We may, white may, might wear different clothes, and, and we might uh, ban country music from our church, you know, and all that kind of fun stuff. <laughs> but you know what? Praise God, we're all knit together in the love of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. And we need each other. We need each other because as we see what things unfolding around us, we, we need to stay hopeful and realize that God is calling us with a great commission. Like I say all the time, like uh, uh, the world may be changing around us. It's always been changing. But we see what's happening in our lifetime now, but our mission doesn't change. It's that great commission to go in all the world and make disciples, baptizing them, right, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And, and our message doesn't change. It's the message of the gospel. And here's what the gospel says, and for those of you that are believers, it's good to be reminded. And if you're here today and you're just, you're wondering, you're just like, I've heard about Jesus, and I know I just don't, I'm not sure. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. Over 150 times in the New Testament alone, he says, this is how we are saved. This is how we, we receive redemption in Christ and reconnected to God the Father, our maker. It is by believing. We are to believe in the Lord Jesus. The Philippian jailer was amazed at what God did in setting Paul and the others free, and he said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that who would ever believe in him would not die but have life everlasting. See, it's about belief. When you believe in the Lord Jesus for salvation, it's really two things are happening. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he did what he said he was gonna do, that he died and he rose again. But then you don't only believe it up here, but that you trust that it's true for you and that Jesus is the only way to salvation. When you believe in the Lord Jesus, that's what you're, you're saying and that's what's happening. And at that moment that you believe, then you are saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. And then for the rest of your life, it's about walking with him. It's becoming more like him by opening your word every day and you're praying to God and you're coming to church and getting fellowship and you're learning how to grow. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ at that moment, you don't understand everything, do you? 
You don't understand all the nuances of even what just happened to you and salvation. And what does it mean that Jesus had to die and, and, his, and, and we're covered by his blood? What does all of that mean? What's the richness of the fullness of Christ that Paul was talking about? It's a lifelong journey of learning all of that. And that's why we focus on discipleship. It's about taking believers and saying, we want to go from here to here, and it's going to take our whole life, but we're going to do it together. We're going to learn, and we're going to grow, and we're going to serve together. And there's plenty of other churches and believers out there doing the same thing. It might look a little different. And they might be in a communist country like in China and have to do it underground in secret because the government doesn't let them do it. Or it might be here where we still have a level of freedoms where we can do it openly. But no matter what it looks like, we're still doing the same thing. So we can be knit in love and encouraged in heart. Amen? Why don't we stand together and just as we close and leave this place together, just worship God one more time because he is great and he's the one that we are to stay focused and train our eyes on so our vision for him in this church and what we're called to do does not get blurry. Amen. Let's, let's turn our hearts to him before we leave this place and give him worship. Shout. 
songs to you because you are great. Because even if we're not going to sing, God, the rocks will cry out and all the earth will shout your praise. And one day we will see you face to face. And the magnificent sounds from that room or that, that place, Lord, with all of eternity echoing your praises. Because you spoke th this into existence, God. And one day, we will be redeemed and reunited again in perfection in front of you, singing the, these words. 